Welcome to the Gospel Saves Podcast, a program that discusses all matters related to the Christian faith. Please visit thegospelsaves.me. You can also visit The Gospel Saves on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Welcome back. In this episode, I'd like to answer the question, what does the Bible say about tithing? To answer that question, we'll talk a little bit about uh, giving under the law of Moses, then we'll talk about what Jesus had to say about the subject of tithing, and then we'll turn our attention to the collection taken up by the church and how it was used. Before I delve into the study, let me take a moment to say something that I think is important. I know how churches spend money is a real hang-up for some people. Religion is a big business in America, and I suspect some of you are disgusted by it. Ultimately, Jesus knows who belongs to him, and he will judge his church, so I don't see myself in a position to condemn how churches spend their money. However, it does seem to me that much of what we see happening in the world of religion and specifically the world of religious finance, is difficult to justify by the Scriptures. So I'm going to do my best to stick to what the Scriptures have to say in answering this question, what does the Bible have to say about tithing? Now the Jews who lived under the old law were commanded to tithe. A tithe simply means to give 10% of what you have to God. The first example of tithing is found in the story of Abraham. Genesis chapter 14, Abraham assembled an army to rescue his nephew Lot from a coalition of armies formed by kings of various city-states. Abraham was victorious, and on his way back home, he stops by the town of Salem, where he offers Melchizedek, king of Salem, uh, a tithe offering. Now, Melchizedek was also a priest of the Most High God. So this is the first instance we have of tithing. Now, there's other offerings that are made to God prior to Abraham's time, but this is the first example of tithing. A little bit later on in the story of Jacob, Jacob follows his grandfather's example and promises to give God a tenth of all his property should God guarantee Jacob's safe return home. Now, under Moses, God instituted three tithes for the children of Israel. They had three tithes that they were to observe. Every year, the children of Israel were to dedicate one-tenth of the whole produce of the soil in order to support the Levites as they ministered in the tabernacle and the temple. And then the Levites were to take what they received and dedicate a tenth of it to the high priest, so the high priest could be supported in his labor. So that was the first tithe, one-tenth of all the produce of the land that was to be given every year. A second tithe was applied for festival purposes, and then a third tithe happened every three years. Every third year, a tithe was to be set aside for the poor. So conceivably, every third year, the Israelites could be given as much as 30% back to the Lord for these various uses. And there's some reason to believe that this was the case, although ancient authorities are a little bit mixed in in how they interpret this and how it was applied. It does appear that at various times the children of Israel were giving back to God some 30% of their yearly income, so to speak. 
Now, by the time Jesus arrives on the scene, some took the practice of tithing to an extreme. In Matthew chapter 23, verses 23 and 24, Jesus, in the midst of his woes to the Pharisees and scribes, says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone, blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. The Pharisees were so concerned with keeping the law in all of its details that they often overlooked more important matters like justice and mercy and faith in God. Now, Jesus doesn't criticize them for closely keeping the law. He criticizes them for their oversight. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. We can become so consumed with keeping the commands of God that we overlook more important matters. That's what Jesus says. So under the old law, yes, the Jews tithed, and by the time Jesus arrived on the scene, they were still tithing, and the most orthodox among them were tithing clear down to the very herbs in their herb cabinet, so to speak. But as far as I can tell, tithing was not a practice carried from the old law into the covenant with Christ. It was not a practice that was taught by the apostles and prophets, and it wasn't practiced by the church. In the transition from the old law to the Christian era, we see a distinct shift taking place when it comes to giving. And that shift starts from the very outset. In Acts chapter 2, verse 44, Luke is describing the church in its very earliest days. He says, Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Notice in that verse there is no mention of giving 10%. It appears Christians sold their stuff and gave all the proceeds to anyone who had a need. This is echoed in chapter 4, verses 34 and 35. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each one as anyone had need. Again, no mention of 10%, and Luke is very explicit. They brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid them at the apostles' feet to distribute to anyone who had a need. In Acts chapter 5, just a few verses later, in verses 1 through 11, we have the example of Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira got themselves in trouble because they lied about how much they sold their land for. They said, we sold the land for this amount, and we're giving this amount to the church, when in actuality they sold it for a larger amount and kept the difference for themselves. So in these early examples of Christian giving, there's no mention of tithing whatsoever. They're giving from their heart, if you will. So giving in the church was not based on a percentage. It was based on the judgment of the individual giver. And this is something we see gradually developing out of that example of the earliest days in the church. The church at Antioch in Acts chapter 11 was warned about an upcoming famine, and they decided to set aside some money so that it could be given to the poor saints in Judea. In fact, Luke tells us in Acts chapter 11, verse 29, the disciples each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. So folks in the church of Antioch assessed how much they could give, and then they gave according to their ability. That same principle is taught by Paul 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. So Paul says how much one gives is up to the discretion of the individual Christian. It's based on how much this person prospers. And again, this principle is articulated by Paul to the Corinthians in his second letter, chapter 9, verse number 7. So let each one gives as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. God wants us to decide for ourselves how much to give the church. He's most concerned with our attitude, doing so with cheerfulness, gladly returning to him the blessings that he has bestowed on us. So when we shift from the old law to the covenant with Christ, we see, we see a change. Tithing, the giving of 10%, falls completely off the radar. In its place, we see the church doing its best to meet the needs of her members. If that meant selling possessions or goods and giving all the proceeds to the church, that's what they did. As the church developed further, we see brethren given the independence to determine how much they could give and to give as they purpose in their hearts. Now, there's one final thing to say about Christian giving, and that was the purpose. Why did they even take up the collection to begin with? Well, the collection was taken up in order to look after people in the church who needed it. The church looked after its widows. In Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, we see the very first example of this, that in the days before Social Security, in the days before the social safety net, the church looked after those among them who were the most vulnerable, widows being among them. In fact, this is so important that Paul spends about 14 verses in 1 Timothy chapter 5 talking about what sorts of women should receive the support of the church, what sorts of widows would qualify for receiving the church's support. So the church looked after widows. They looked after poor brethren as well. The collection for the saints that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, that collection was for the poor saints in Judea. Over in Romans chapter 15, verse 26, Paul talks about the purpose for taking up that collection. He was collecting money from the churches in Macedonia and Achaia to take back to the poor saints in Judea. The church also relieved those who were going through calamities or natural disasters. That's the reason why the church in Antioch was taking up the collection in Acts chapter 11. They found out that there was a famine to come, and they wanted to be sure their Judean brethren had everything they needed to survive the famine. So famines, plagues, earthquakes, or any other calamity were opportunities for brethren to put the collection to good use. And the brethren also looked after those who were in prison for their faith. Roman prisoners depended on the kindness and generosity of friends to meet their basic needs. And the church made sure that Christian prisoners were looked after. Paul was the beneficiary of the generosity of the Philippian church. They sent a gift to him by the hand of Epaphroditus, and Paul was relieved by their gift. It was something that helped him a lot as he was in prison. The writer of Hebrews urges his readers to remember the prisoners as if you were chained with them. So the church helped widows, they helped the poor, they helped those who were going through natural disasters or other calamities, they helped Christian prisoners, and finally they helped support those who preached the gospel. 
Paul talks about this extensively in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, but he sums it up best in Galatians chapter 6, verse 6. Let him who has taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. The church supported those who preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, as I begin to draw this study to a close, I'd like to leave you with just a couple of thoughts. Notice in both the Old and New Covenant that giving was very much people-oriented. It was concerned with people. Under the old law, the tithe looked after the priests and, uh, and looked after the most vulnerable among the, the children of Israel. Under the new law, the collection taken up by the church also looked after the vulnerable and it looked after those who preached the gospel. The main difference between the old and new law was this. The old law used tithes. The new law left it up to each individual to make their decision. So is tithing necessary today? I don't think so. The testimony of the New Testament is clear in my estimation. You may choose to tithe because that's what you think God wants you to do, and if that's what you want to do, so be it. But the New Testament guidance is simple. This is the principle that guides giving in the New Testament, and we use that collection to look after each other, to take care of each other's needs, and to make sure that no one is going without. That's the purpose of the collection for the church. And as I've already said, it's not a tithe. If you want a tithe, go ahead and do so. But it's not demanded by God, and it shouldn't be expected by the church. Thanks for listening to the Gospel Saves podcast. If you found this program useful, please visit thegospelsaves.me to find blogs, videos, and Bible studies. If you enjoyed the music on this podcast, please visit acapeldridge.com. You can also find Acapeldridge on Apple Music, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, and Facebook. May God bless you as you seek to know His perfect will.